Welcome to the podcast from Plum Creek Community Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Thanks for downloading my dad. I hope as you listen, you are challenged and encouraged by his message. Oh God, we just continue to echo that in our hearts. We want to adore you, Jesus. Thank you for your awesome love that's here today. God, we thank you for your amazing plan that we celebrate here at Christmas time, sending your son into this into this world. And Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here this morning. We pray, God, that in these moments together that we'd honor you and that we'd leave here different because we've been with you today. God, we love you and we pray it all in the name of Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Again, welcome to Plum Creek. Glad that you guys are here. You look good. You look good. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here and excited that, that you're with us today. Uh, if, if you're listening by podcast, I want to welcome those who are doing that. That's awesome. And uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 1. Or if it's on your phone or another device, just open up to Luke chapter 1. That would be great. If uh, you've been with us the past few weeks, you know we've been kind of bouncing around the Christmas story and uh, looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we're calling this series Mary's Christmas. And uh, we're specifically looking at statements that were either made to Mary or by Mary. So as we start uh, part three this morning, I need you to lend me uh, your imagination. And for some of you, this will be easy. For others, it, it might not be so easy. This is for you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, don't want to be a Christian, been a Christian all your life, think you can do a better job than I'm doing up here. I need all of you to just imagine what life would be like if you knew God was a personal God who loved you, that he was a God who will always keep his word, and if he is a God who has promised to walk beside you every day and will see you through everything that ever comes your way. Imagine if you had that kind of faith. The kind of faith that says when something bad happens, you know, I'm just going to keep trusting God. The kind of faith that when a, a big temptation comes your way and, and it's something that, that you want to do and yet your heart's response is, God, even though I want to do that, I'm just going to trust you to get me through this. Or maybe it's something that's, that great happens in your life, the kind of thing that would knock people off of course and you're just like, God, please don't let that change me. I'm, just, I'm trusting you to keep my heart in check. Imagine that kind of faith. Imagine no fear, no anxiety about your family, about your kids, about your future, about your finances. Now, I'm not saying that everything goes your way all the time. I'm not saying that bad things don't happen in your life. You still have setbacks like we all do. But you just have this absolute confident faith that God is with you, that he loves you, and that he is going to see you through. Maybe you've met people like that. Maybe it was your mom or a grandpa or a friend. They just had this amazingly childlike faith that just believed God. My dad was like that. I'd get all caught up in all the, the questions of faith. Things like, well, what about the dinosaurs? What about evolution? What about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? And that, that stuff just didn't bother my dad. His faith was just simple. And I'd be like, Dad, don't you understand? 
These are big questions. Just didn't bother him. Maybe you know or, or have known someone like, like that. Someone who just had this simple but big faith. Or maybe you've known someone who, who uh, maybe it's their family, they've experienced all kinds of terrible things. Maybe it was an untimely death or cancer has invaded their family or it's some kind of injustice or a, a loss of a job or some other financial setback. And it just looks, it feels like they're getting piled on. And through it all, their faith never wavered. Yours did. You doubted God on their behalf. You're like, how can God be doing all of that to you? How's he letting that all happen? And they're just like, well, I'm sorry, that's shaking your faith. We're fine. You just need to trust God. And you want to ask him, are you even living in reality? Don't you see what's happening? Imagine that kind of faith. Now, I'm not talking about some disconnect from real life. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm not talking about some pie-in-the-sky belief system where you just have faith to have faith. I'm talking about legitimate, I really believe God is with me, I really believe God is for me, and I really believe God will help me faith. You see, when we meet somebody like that, we marvel at their faith, don't we? We marvel at their confidence in God. And we wonder, how come I'm like, I'm not like that? What do I need to do? What, what's holding me back? And even if you aren't a Christian here today, you admire somebody that has big faith. And we're moved when we hear their amazing stories and we, and we say things like, man, they, they just had such great faith. Now imagine if that person was you. And I say that this morning because that's where God wants to take us. That's where God wants each one of us to be. He wants us to trust him, to believe him. Now, contrary to popular opinion, faith is not belief without proof. And, and yet that's the definition that many people give uh, for faith. Basically saying, I believe despite what the evidence tells me. Now, I need to be honest with you. I can speak with experience about that kind of faith. It's kind of like being a Vikings fan. I mean, we've, we've got Christian ponder and, and believing in ponder despite what the evidence tells me. Or possibly a Broncos fan. I mean, let's face it. There has been a lot of renewed criticism over the last 10 days about Peyton Manning and, and the whole team. And I know some of you are wearing your jer jerseys. You're not going to say it out loud. You're here during the game. I get it. But you're wondering, you're thinking in the back of your mind, can he really win the big one? The big ones. Because first of all, you've got to go through Foxborough. And then the Super Bowl in the Meadowlands. In the dead of winter. Baby, it's cold outside. But we can all agree on this. We could be Bears fans. Yeah, that, that looks good. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the confidence that we, 
that what we hope for will actually happen. So faith is not belief without proof or belief despite the evidence. Rather, faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That's the kind of faith we see in the Bible. Confidence in God. And the Bible is full of stories of God blowing up people's faith. And one of those people, as we've been talking about in this series, is Mary, Jesus' mom. Now, unfortunately, there are two traps uh, that people of faith often fall into when we talk about Mary. The first trap is to put Mary on some kind of pedestal where she's barely human anymore. Some people even kind of view her as like she's divine or some divine goddess. Or we, we talk about her faith being perfect in such a way that, that no other human's faith could ever be. But the second trap that we can fall into is to ignore Mary altogether. Just kind of ignore her, her life and, and the lessons that she can teach us. Both are wrong. Neither one of those views will lead us to the story of the real Mary. And that's why I'm so glad that we have her account of what happened that first Christmas because Mary is one of the key characters in the story. And you see, Dr. Luke, who wrote what we call the Gospel of Luke, he took it upon himself to write an accurate historical account of the life of Jesus. And as a doctor, we, we know he was devoted to research. He was devoted to science. And Luke tells us that just like many others were, were writing down the stories of Jesus, that one of the things that he did to make sure that he was getting it down accurately was to carefully investigate the story and to even interview eyewitnesses. And certainly one of those eyewitnesses was Mary. Because when you read his account, the first couple of chapters have this very uh, descriptive, very personal, very intimate description of the events surrounding Jesus' birth and, and all the other surrounding images and conversations, these personal conversations that Mary had with her cousin Elizabeth and with the angel. Facts that only Mary herself would know. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at different snapshots of this well-known story that Luke captured for us. And we know that it's, it's around the year 4 BC. We know that Mary is a, is a young girl living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She's probably around the age 13, around the age 13. And we know that she is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now that may sound weird. In, uh, in our day and age, but that's how it worked back then. And I'm going to come back to that uh, engagement in a moment. We'll explain it a little bit more. Now, while we don't know the specifics of how or where it happened, we know from Dr. Luke's account that an angel appears to Mary. And you, be, you may be like an angel. Come on. That, that stuff doesn't really happen. And I, I understand why you would feel that way. There's a lot of things that are recorded in the Bible that are hard to believe. But whether you believe it or not, Mary believed it. And Dr. Luke, after hearing Mary tell her story, he believed it too. So an angel appears to Mary. And what I, what I thought we'd do this morning is, is use our imaginations again. And so I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just to kind of recreate the scene of what it would have been like when that angel appeared. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was Mary out on a walk. 
Maybe Mary was praying in the synagogue. We just don't know. But an angel appears. His name is Clarence. Okay, wrong story. Wrong story. Open your eyes if you haven't already. His name's Gabriel. It's Gabriel. And we can only imagine what that must have been like. It's an angel. And look at what he says to her in in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine what that would have been like? She's startled. She's, she's confused. She's, she's afraid. It's that feeling that you get when you're blindsided, when you don't know what's going on, when life gets interrupted. And we all know what that's like. We've all experienced that on, on some level. It's like when you're home alone and all of a sudden you hear something. Or maybe you've, you know what it's like when you're startled out of your sleep and, you, and you're like, what's going on? And you, and you instantly go into that fight or flight mode. What kind of greeting is this? And we've said this before, but whenever angels appear to humans, they always seem to start by saying, don't be afraid. And you know why that is, right? Yeah, well, theologians, they have studied this. Guys with big titles after after their name. And there's not a lot of things they agree on, but they can all agree on this. Theologians will agree that whenever angels appear to humans, humans are always afraid. They scare the living daylights out of us. Except, of course, for Clarence. Poor Clarence. So in verse 30 of chapter 1, the angel says to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And it's interesting to note that those those, uh, phrases, favored woman and found favor with God, they probably have nothing to do with Mary's character or anything that she's done. Gabriel says, The Lord... Is with you. It's all about the fact that God has chosen to do something amazing through her, just like He wants to do amazing things through you and me. Gabriel goes on, verse 31 You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and you, he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, your son is going to be the long-awaited Messiah. And she's got to be thinking, but this doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. And remember, Dr. Luke has told us that Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph. And I told you we'd talk about that. So let's look at it here. You see, engagement in her Jewish culture in 4 BC meant something very different than how you and I would understand it. And, and it, we miss the difference if we just assume that, that we understand their culture. In Mary's Jewish world, engagement meant that she and Joseph were legally husband and wife, even though the wedding ceremony hadn't happened yet, and it was going to happen. Sometimes the engagement period could last up to a year, but there would be a ceremony. Now, we obviously look at it differently in our culture, don't we? We look at the legal part happening at the ceremony or maybe that, that those few minutes afterwards where everybody's signing the document. But from the moment of their engagement, they were legally husband and wife with one exception. They weren't living together yet. They weren't 
having sex yet. That part of their relationship was still to be saved until after the wedding ceremony. So Mary asks a very reasonable, logical, even comical question. She says, Angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God for nothing is impossible with God. I want you to say that out loud with me, just that last part. Nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary gives one of the most amazing responses recorded in the Bible. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel leaves. May everything you have said about me come true. Other translations say, let it be. May it be. And those few words capture the essence of what God wants for every one of his children. And it leads me to the main thought that I want you to take with you today. And, and you can write it down in your journey guide. You can sign it or uh, circle it. You can star it. My main thought is live knowing God can be trusted. You see, Mary is just like you and me. She had hopes, dreams, fears, anxieties, questions, just like you and I do. But Mary has something to teach us this morning. She believed God. And she lived knowing he could be trusted. So for the next few moments, I want us to consider some lessons that we can learn from her. So the first lesson that you can write down, the first lesson we can learn from Mary is that she expects God to keep his promises. Now before you say, well, that was Mary. She's special. Remember, don't do that. Don't put her up on a pedestal. Mary is not superior to other women. Mary is not some superhuman. She is just like you and I. And God asked her to do something, something way outside of her comfort zone, just like he does to you and me sometimes. And just like us, she's afraid, she's confused, she's skeptical, she looks around at her, at her circumstances and, and she says, this, this doesn't make any sense, this is scary. And just like he does for us, God says to Mary, trust me. Trust me. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? And Mary knows that too. You see, by agreeing to be the mother of Jesus, Mary was agreeing to a long and difficult road. She knew she'd be ostracized when people found out that she, an engaged, unmarried woman, was pregnant. She knew she'd be gossiped about. The rumor mill would be in full swing. She would have a questionable reputation the rest of her life. People always whispering, there's Mary. Do you know who the father is? Is it Joseph? Or did she cheat on him? 
the potential of Mary being kicked to the sidelines of society was real. Don't be afraid, Mary. The Lord is with you. And she knew how much she would need his presence and she expected God to keep his promise. She lived knowing God can be trusted. There's a second lesson that Mary can teach us today. Mary expected God to help her with her problems. And believe me, plenty of problems still lay ahead. You see, Mary could have been forced to take the bitter waters test. And you may be like, well, what's the bitter waters test? It's found in the fourth book of the Jewish Torah. We know it as the book of Numbers. And it is not pleasant. You see, under the Jewish law, if a woman made the case that she wasn't responsible for her pregnancy, meaning that she had been taken advantage of, or if the man that she was pledged to was suspicious of her faithfulness to him, then she could be forced to participate in this test. So if Joseph had asked for it, Mary would have been brought before the priest, she would have taken a solemn oath, And then she would be told to drink the bitter waters. And the bitter waters was this mixture of of holy water and dust. And then the priest would actually write out in ink on parchment a curse. And then that parchment would actually be added to the mixture as well. And it would be mixed up and she would drink it. And it was believed that if the woman was guilty of unfaithfulness, then she'd become sick. And if she didn't, then she'd be declared innocent. And by the first century, this was practiced publicly. But to make matters worse, the fifth book of the Jewish Torah, Deuteronomy is what we know it by, that clearly gives the Jewish husband permission to have his wife stoned to death if it was proven that she had been unfaithful to him. The men of the village would take the guilty woman outside of the city gates and they'd kill her. Now that may all sound horribly crazy and horribly out of place in our 21st century Western civilization. But that was Mary's world. By agreeing to God's plan, Mary was literally putting her life on the line. Now today we know more of the story, don't we? We know Joseph chooses to end the engagement quietly. Joseph is a good man. He's a kind man. And even though he had to be so angry and and confused and, and just plain sick about this whole crazy story that Mary had told him, His decision was not to humiliate her or to have her put to death. But he could have. And please remember the timing of all of this. When Mary is agreeing to God's plan, she didn't know what Joseph was going to do. That's not how the order of events went in this story. She didn't know. She didn't have the whole story. Just like you and I don't always have the whole story. She knew the risks and she trusted God. 
Mary's not superhuman. She's just like you and me. But she lived knowing God can be trusted. The last lesson that I'll mention is that Mary expected God, when necessary, to do the impossible. She had heard the stories of how God worked. She knew the stories of God asking others to trust him, stories that she had learned as a little girl. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, David, Hannah, and so many more. She knew the stories, just like many of us know the stories. And not just stories from the Bible, but but stories from friends and, and family. God assigns seemingly impossible tasks and then asks us to trust him. Author and speaker Henry Blackaby has written, when God invites you to join him in his work, he has a God-sized assignment for you. You will quickly realize you cannot do what he is asking on your own. If God doesn't help you, you will fail. This is the crisis of belief when you must decide whether to believe God for what he wants to do through you. Or not. You see, it's at this point that many people decide not to follow what they sense God is leading them to do. And they miss out. Imagine if Mary would have said to the angel, Clarence, I know you need your wings. Angel, I I know what God is asking. And I know saying yes means believing him for the impossible. But angel, my answer is no. Guys, I don't know what God is asking you to do. But don't miss out. Nothing is impossible with Him. You know, in a room full of people this size, I know there's a lot going on. And this time of year, this Christmas season, it only intensifies what's going on in our lives. Anxiety, confusion, fear. Maybe you're feeling lonely or sad, frustrated. Maybe someone's here today feeling ostracized. Maybe you're here today and you're, and you're like, I don't even know what I believe about God. It's okay. I get that. I've been there. Maybe there's some sense of doom gripping your heart. Or maybe life just got interrupted. So as we head into this afternoon, as we gather with friends and family this week, students, as, as, as you hang out or work those part-time jobs, let's make this real simple. Let's make this real practical. I don't know what faith-stretching opportunity God has placed before you, but what would somebody like you do 
If you had absolute confidence that God was with you, that's what you need to do. What would somebody like you do if you were absolutely convinced that God was for you? That's what you need to do. How would you respond if you were absolutely convinced that God loves you? That's how you need to respond. What would somebody like you do? Imagine how life would be different if you really believed God. Imagine dealing with the difficulties of life that, that you're facing right now. If in your heart you were absolutely convinced that God was in the middle of it all, leveraging it for your good. Imagine what your kids would learn from you if you had absolute confidence in Him. Imagine the impact that you would have on your friends, on your family, at your school, at your workplace, in this town. Imagine if we all lived knowing God can be trusted. Let's pray. Dear Father, it's easy to say, hard to do. But as we leave this place today, may we all leave with a, a new or renewed commitment to trust you just a little more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you guys thank Gary this morning? What a great challenge for all of us to be reminded of this God that we can trust. And there's different circumstances and situations that we're going to face, whether it's even over the holiday season, for sure next year, we're going to be reminded of that. Two things came out of this message uh, for for my row, which is my, my boys over there. First, Luke wanted to know who Clarence was. And Josh wanted to know if it's okay to beat up Uncle Gary for making fun of our quarterback. <clears throat> so Gary's going to run to the car right now. Just kidding. I've got to tell you a quick story. On Monday, I got a text from one of the pastors here in town. You know, we talk a lot about the uh, partnership that we have together, the uh, understanding that God has called us to reach this community, and uh, that our relationships run deep. And I talk about that a lot, that uh, we have an opportunity to work together. Some of you are very aware of that. And uh, I want to tell you a quick story because uh, Paul from Castle Oaks uh, shot me a text and he said, how are you guys doing on your Christmas offering, your goal to raise $30,000 to be able to go back out to support different ministries uh, all over the world? And I said, well, we're, we're approaching halfway. Truthfully, I just looked it up. We're at $11,536 before this weekend service. And uh, he, I said, why are you asking? He texted me back and he said, our church, our board, and our staff just decided that our Christmas Eve service uh, offering is going to go to your missions offering this year too. Isn't that awesome? It's just so cool. Let me just tell you, 
We don't just talk about doing ministry together in this town. And I tell you, that, that to me fires me up, to be able to share a story with you of how the churches in our community are working together to make a difference in this town. It's pretty awesome. And we are blessed. So if you know Castle Oaks people, slap them high five and tell them their pastor is a stud. Okay? And uh, what a great guy. Our ushers are going to come forward. You know this is the time in our service where where we uh, receive our tithes and our offerings. And, and uh, for those of you that have already gone through the process of praying with your family, how you would uh, contribute towards the missions offering above and beyond your regular giving, thank you for doing that. If not, thank you for, for doing that. Pray with your family. Let, your, let them engage in that process with you. And that's a great way to celebrate Christmas together. We're going to pray here and uh, close our service and in doing so, will you guys also do this as well with me? Can you pray for Claire's family? You guys know she passed away, the little girl from Arapahoe. What a, what a challenging Christmas, you guys. What a, what a difficult, difficult thing. And I think it would be important for the faith community to pray for that family. So let's just do that. Um, and and uh, I'll just wait a second because the buckets are almost all out. I'll give them a chance to do that. I tell you what, after the buckets have already passed your spot, will you stand up? Then I know that, that we're uh, ready to roll here. <clears throat> And we'll look forward to seeing you guys Christmas Eve. Hopefully you've invited some friends and family. I had one of our families in the first service came up to me and said, I've invited almost everyone in our neighborhood. No pressure. It better be good. Right? <laughs> so uh, we'll have some cards for you to hand out. And I'll do my best and the rest of our team will too to make uh, Christmas Eve something really special. Let's just pray real quick. God, thank you for a chance to be together. Thank you for Gary's message. Thank you for the truths that we can learn from Scripture. And over this holiday season, the, the, the truths that we've been able to learn from the life of Mary. And so we pray this week would be a special one with friends and family. Keep those that are traveling safe. And Lord, we do pause together as the faith community to pray for Claire's family. Can't even imagine the grieving that they're going through from something so senseless. And God, we pray these things would stop. We pray that your name would be lifted high. And even in the midst of their grieving, Lord, I pray that you will be there to comfort them and help those that know them to know how to support them. And Father, we pray that somehow in the midst of all of this, our eyes would continue to be focused on you. And that, God, you will help us, even as a community, to be able to carry through the challenges that we're faced with. God, help us now to be able to lift you high to those that don't know you. Help us to have a chance to invite someone to perhaps Christmas Eve services. They'll be looking for a place to land. And, and God, that that would be an opportunity, not just for us, but for the other churches in our community, like Castle Oaks, to be able to work together to impact the spiritual climate uh, in, in Castle Rock. Lord, we thank you for this chance. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have an awesome, awesome couple of days. We'll see you on Tuesday. All right?